This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. What does it mean to follow Christ outside the walls? What kind of cross are you and I being asked to carry? I, I, uh, I've been meditating on this just a little bit as I'm thinking about today's topic. Uh, and, and I think back to this quote of Pope Benedict right at the very beginning of his pontificate, Pope Benedict XVI. Uh, he, he gives an address to the German pilgrims who have come to his papal inauguration. And he's re- relating to them the experience of deciding to accept this election to the papacy. And he says of a brother cardinal, he says, this brother cardinal wrote to me, were the Lord to say to you now, follow me, then remember what you preached. Do not refuse. Be obedient in the same way that you described the great Pope who has returned to the house of the Father. This, he says, deeply moved me. The ways of the Lord are not easy, but we were not created for an easy life, but for great things for goodness. Then he goes on to speak a little bit about uh, how the people responded to the death of St. Pope John Paul II, the, the, the crowds that came and expressed their grief. And he goes on to say, it became obvious that the church is not closed in on herself and does not exist only for herself, but as a shining point for humanity. Indeed, it was seen that the church is not old and immobile. No, she is young." If we look at these young people who were gathered around the late Pope and as a result around Christ, whose cause the Pope espoused, something just as comforting could be seen. It is not true that they are materialistic and self-centered. Just the opposite is true. Young people want great things. They want an end to injustice. They want inequalities to be overcome and all peoples to have their share in the earth's goods. They want freedom for the oppressed. They want great things, good things. This is why young people are, you are, once again fully open to Christ. Christ did not promise an easy life. Those who desire comforts have dialed the wrong number. Rather, he shows us the way to great things, the good, towards an authentic human life. When he speaks of the cross that we ourselves have to carry, it has nothing to do with a taste of torture or pedantic moralism. It is the impulse of love which has its own momentum and does not seek itself, but opens the person to the service of truth, justice, and the good. Christ shows God to us, and thus the true greatness of man. Again, these words were spoken by Pope Benedict XVI shortly after his inauguration, spoken to a group of German pilgrims who had come to that papal inauguration. And he speaks to us today as we continue on this journey of Lent, that we look around and we realize that the comforts that we so often seek and and do our best to hold on to can be stumbling blocks for us in our journey of discipleship. These are not the things that we were made for. And the comforts that we seek and the, the, uh, 
the ways that we seek to feed our appetites, these are actually not the things that satisfy us. But it's so hard to let them go, right? It's hard to give up the things that our appetites hunger for. This is one of the purposes of Lent, to begin to discipline ourselves, to to focus our appetites and to really make us more aware of what are the things that we are made for. What are the things that bring us true satisfaction and not just kind of a, a sugar coma of material, <laughs> material consumption, right? How am I going to nourish my spirit uh, as, as I go through life? Uh, and yet the, the comforts that we have around us are powerful things. Um, all the way to the point that St. Paul, as he's talking with Timothy, says that there's going to come a time where people will no longer endure sound doctrine, but they'll gather for themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears long to hear. And so one of the questions that I've been asking myself uh, is, what kind of discomfort do I allow myself? What kind of idea that's un- uncomfortable do I sit with and see if it's going to knock something off, see if it's going to, uh, to refine my understanding in any way? What kind of, uh, of lack do I allow myself to experience to see if maybe I've been holding on to too much? What are the things that God is wanting to do in my life? And am I a participant in that? Am I walking in uh, w- with an openness to the grace that God wants to give me in the way God wants to give it to me? Or do I have a certain perspective uh, and opinion of what God's call should look like? And I kind of limit him to that. Do I have itching ears that only want to hear one thing and shut out all other noises? These are these self-reflective questions that I think are important for us to face in this season of Lent. Am I allowing myself to hear the call of Christ to follow him, whether that follow me be towards a, a grace and a glory or whether it be towards a desolation and a cross. Because here's the thing. The things that God wants to give us are good. They are not only good, but they are the ultimate good. The things that God wants to give us are for our sanctification and our perfection. But very often we reject those things that God wants to give us because they are uncomfortable. They require us to step out of the place of our comfort and into a place of of just absolute abandonment to his providence. To say, I'm going to put all these things aside because I know that you are good, even though this uh, is way outside my comfort zone. I think of... um, I don't know if you're much of a movie person, but the um, the Raiders of the, the Lost Ark, the the series, Indiana Jones. Uh, skip ahead to the third movie, the uh, the Last Crusade. Right here, we are standing on this precipice, and uh, and we're told to take a leap of faith, even though we're looking in front of us, and our eyes are telling us that in front of us is a chasm and certain doom, and yet everything that we're reading tells us that we have to go forward. 
We have to take this leap of faith. And in the movie, he does. He he falls forward only to reveal that there's just this fantastic optical illusion. And there is, in fact, a bridge in front of him that carries him on to safety and allows uh, for the salvation of another person who is in need. Here we are, standing on the precipice in the season of Lent, and we are being beckoned to something that looks like our certain doom, calling us away from our comfort and into this radical obedience to God. And he beckons to us and says, will you trust me? Will you come out? Will you put aside your ideas of comfort and even your ideas of good and follow me in obedience? And that's a scary place to be. But I have to tell you that when we follow, the things that we find are worth it. God beckons us out on this this air bridge, as it were, because he knows that what's on the other side is salvation for ourselves and for others. In a very real way, God is calling us to take up our cross, to deny ourselves and to follow him, to die to ourselves. And that death, while it is not a physical one, is a very real death. Um, I remember, gosh, it's been about uh, 18 or 19 years now uh, that I went on an extended fast um, before I became Catholic because I was seeking God in something. And I, I'm, I bring this up only because I remember day seven of this fast. And I was not necessarily hungry, right? I wasn't experiencing physical hunger, but what I was experiencing was this absolutely overwhelming, intense uh, mental anguish of saying, if I don't eat, I'm going to die, right? And my body was telling me, this appetite is here and it's here for a reason. And there was this just warfare going on with my will, trying to get me to come back and to eat because that's what self-preservation does. Well, I was able to press through that. And I have to tell you for the rest of the fast, which was still quite lengthy, I never had that problem again once I made it past that absolutely mentally excruciating day. And that, I think, is, is also present in our spiritual lives. When we come up against this thing that God is calling us uh, beyond, and it, maybe it's the death of an idea, maybe it's the, the re- reformation, the recreation of, of a place that God wants us to go, and it looks like death to us. But the truth of the matter is that the places that God calls us are places that give life, not only to us, but to the whole of his creation. And this is what we're talking about today, that the pillars of Lent are prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. But today we're going to talk about something that often gets confused for almsgiving, and that's justice. Uh, in, in Isaiah, God says, this is the kind of fast that I desire. And then he goes through and talks about all of these things that pertain to justice. So we're going to tackle the difference uh, between almsgiving and justice, focusing our attention particularly today on living a life of justice 
during this season of Lent. We're talking today with Louis Damani Jones, who is uh, part of the board of directors of the, um, the Catholic Charities for the Archdiocese of St. Louis. He's the 2020 recipient of the USCCB's Cardinal Bernardin New Leadership Award and is the co-host of a podcast called Living Communion. Louis, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for having me. So you wrote a piece recently in um, in the the Catholic the Catholic Courier CatholicCourier.com on uh, the three, uh, or rather it was the third in a series of rights and responsibilities, what we are owed, and what we owe to others in justice. So before we get in too much in depth with with where this article went, I just want to define the word justice because I grew up. Um, primarily thinking of justice as being the purview of, you know, uh, law and order and, and um, even ret- uh, retributive justice, right? The justice is what you're owed when you do something wrong. Uh, yeah. And it was coming into Catholicism and beginning to read the documents of the church that I began to see the church uses that word very differently uh, even to the the point that in the mass we say it is right and just to give yeah, exactly. God worship. So talk a little bit just before we dive into the rest of this. What do we mean when we say justice? Wow, <clears throat> amazing question, very deep question. And um, I think that the best definition is giving to one what they are due. That's the traditional definition drawing from Thomas Aquinas and others. There's different types of justice. <clears throat> you touched on one distributive justice. There's also there's also others as well. Um, and these types of justice, are, it's important to go deep on them. But for this conversation, we should focus on the idea of justice as being given to one, their due. And that can be in a, in a variety of spheres. But justice, in a sense, is a virtue. Justice is a really important virtue. In fact, when they described uh, some righteous people in the Old Testament, they called them a just man. A just man meant somebody who was both upstanding before God and upstanding before others. They gave God what was their due and gave others what were their due. They lived a life of justice. So justice in the traditional understanding, I would say in the faith understanding, is simply doing is giving unto others their due and giving to God their due um, by virtue of their humanity and by virtue of God's divinity. You know, as I was reading your piece uh, that we'll get to here in a second, um, I, 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 we typically, around Lent, we think of those three pillars of the Lenten observance, right? Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And a lot of what you talk about there uh, in terms of what, what do we owe to others and what are we owed, we tend to think about those kinds of transactional um, relationships as being more the the purview of almsgiving, right? If I see someone who is in need, uh, maybe they're they're on the corner with a sign. Um, if I respond to them in a way that provides them with something, we tend to think of that primarily in the framework of almsgiving. And yet, before we even get to almsgiving, there is the question of this person who I'm faced with right now. And according to Matthew 25, what I do to this person, I do to Christ Himself. So in that, in that place, before we ever get to the question of almsgiving, we have the question of what do I owe this person? What rights does this person have just by virtue of their dignity? And so before we even get to the question of almsgiving, we're faced with the question of justice. 
Yes. And this is actually really challenging for people because this is why the gospel challenges us. Jesus Christ really challenges people. I think no one can say that they can come to Jesus and not be challenged. Um, Jesus will challenge you everywhere on every direction and every level. And this is one of the places where we continually are growing in conversion. So I love that you started with when Christ said, uh, what you do unto the least of these you do unto me, because that provides us with a way of understanding <clears throat> that the least, the least in our society, those people who are considered the least in whatever way that can be physically, spiritually, materially, but those who are considered the least are a place of encounter with Christ. Um, and in fact, in the church's understanding, um, there's a concept called the preferential option for the poor, which actually says that in justice, we have to look to those who have the least in a society as the primary focus. Why? Because those people who have the least are, are not only a place of encounter with Christ, but in serving those people and helping those people to come into a, into a better station in life, we're actually helping ourselves. Why? Because we're called to communion and solidarity. And that solidarity is broken and ruptured. That fraternity is broken and ruptured when someone is not receiving what they're due by virtue of their humanity. This kind of plays in um, also to another concept in the church's doctrine called the universal destination of all, of all goods. Mm -hmm. When we go back to the Garden of Eden, and I think this is the best way to, to understand anything, go back to the Garden. What was God's intention? Uh, he, he put Adam and Eve in this uh, luxurious garden, this place with all of the resources that they could ever need. And they were there to tend, to work. They had the command to work actually primarily. That was something that they were given by God. Work is not bad. Work is actually good. Work is actually a blessing from God. Um, but this was all in the garden. But also there was, there was all of, of their needs were taken care of because they were, they were brought into this, into this land by God uh, to sustain themselves. We kind of lost that understanding. We lost that that idea of kind of being a part of this human family created uh, again by God for this whole planet to kind of reside here and to live here. So <clears throat> what that all means is that we are brothers and sisters. So all of us as human people who live on this earth, we have to understand that we have a stewardship, not just of the resources of the earth for kind of ourselves, but for everyone else too, as our brothers and sisters, almost like when you're in a family. In a family, you kind of don't like divvy up different things that you guys have for food. You're like, this is your food, Timmy. This is your food, Susie. And, you know, we, you know, if you want to get more food, like to survive, we're going to have to have a conversation about that because we, <laughs> we have these. Specific... So it, it's about understanding the stewardship in a fraternal way that we're called to, again, in justice, make sure that everyone can have what they are due by virtue of their humanity, by virtue of what God created them for here. I, let's take this back because I, I have I have eight kids, right? So this idea of feeding everybody <laughs> and having the pantry, this is like real stuff to me, right? And just imagine opening up the pantry and they've all taken Sharpies to the various snacks that we've said, this is mine, right? <laughs> and uh, that doesn't, that hasn't happened yet. Um, but you, as as we have grown as a family, there, there are others who look at us from the outside and go, wow, you people are crazy. Um, and at the just the size of the family, and yet we've always found there's this old, I think, Ukrainian proverb that every every oh, child know. comes with a, a loaf of bread under their arm, right? And so there's there's always, even as we have grown, and necessarily our salaries have not grown, uh, there's always enough. And and I think that we can take that as well because we serve the God who multiplied the loaves and the fishes and there were baskets left over. And I think that sometimes we still operate under this scarcity mentality of, well, I know where 
all of my finances are coming from. I've got them on the spreadsheet and I know what kind of generosity and what kind of almsgiving I can afford. And what we do in that is we relegate ourselves to being the main provider rather than saying, you know, God, I'm the conduit. Um, where do you want it to go today? Trusting that when we get to the end of the day, there's still going to be enough for me. Yeah. And what's so powerful is that this was the early church's understanding. Um, when you go to the saints, uh, my favorite is St. Basil um, on this issue. St. Basil was someone who was deeply, mm, how can I say this? Not only was he dedicated to living a life of justice in terms of his relationship with God, first and foremost, mm -hmm. he was a monk at the very genesis of monastic. So he was at the very beginning, right? The early, the early enthusiasm for the monastic life. I mean, you have, you have people who are coming from pretty well-off families in that culture who decided to leave everything to literally live a life of poverty. But he also was deeply, deeply uh, invested in, in charitable works. He actually spent time going outside the walls to create this place called the Basiliad, which is basically like a proto-hospital for mm -hmm. free, <laughs> where he provided free health care to all the people, just I think as a part of his mission. And he said, <clears throat> basically, this is what I have to do in injustice. St. John Chrysostom said it best when he said, if you have, St. John Chrysostom is an early church father, he said, if you have two coats and your brother has none, you are stealing from them. Mm -hmm. Why does he say it like that? He says it very intensely. He's a very intense guy. If you look at their, read their early church fathers, they're very intense with their language. But what he's trying to say is, don't you see that this person is just like you? This person is your brother and sister. And in fact, this person is another Christ to you. Mm -hmm. And if you have two jackets, you can't even wear them both simultaneously. And this person has no jacket. How can you say, I love that person when you are allowing them to be cold? Yeah. And I think it's kind of that very practical understanding of when someone doesn't have their basic needs met for survival, for just to, just to live, just to carry on day to day. And we have abundance. We have a lot. It's not just about, it's not just a matter of I'm a good person because I've now given this person, you know, my extra jacket. You should inside yourself recognize it's wrong that this person is not able to survive. Right. right. We should, as Catholics, we reverence life. We reverence life. And the reason being, we know that life is, especially human life, particularly even more so, is made in God's image in a particular way and represents God in a particular way. So when we clothe somebody, when we see somebody in lack, so knowing that they weren't destined for lack by God, they were destined for abundance, the abundance of the Garden of Eden, knowing that we have to, in justice, out of, out of love for God and out of a desire to do what is right, we have to. Uh, give of ourselves. And this is a, always a challenge. This will always be a challenge. This will never be kind of a static, oh, I've reached my conclusion. Well, we see this even in scripture where it says, don't say to the person who comes to your door, be well and be fed and send them off, but first take care of their needs, right? Yeah. Uh, otherwise, all we're doing is sending Christ away into the dark. Something else that as you're talking that I'm thinking about is we tend to think in the West of abundance in terms of our uh, our material goods, the things that we have, uh, our assets, as it were. Um, and and yet I think of the fact that God has given each of us a gift, and Scripture says he gives us that gift for the good of the body, for the others mm -hmm. that are around us. And so we tend to think of in our abundance or or even in our, our modest uh holdings, right? We tend to think of, well, God has given me these material gifts 
and I can distribute them to those who have need as maybe justice, maybe almsgiving, uh, charity nonetheless, right? Uh, out of out of the, the love of our heart, the love of Christ compels us. But I think we also have to, to take into account the things that we are lacking, that the poor have in abundance. The, the saints talk all the time about the gifts that God gives them in their poverty. And they have been given those gifts for our sake. And uh, I love, I think it's Chrysostom, but I'm not 100% sure here, that says that the, um, the rich exist for the sake of the poor, and the poor exist for the salvation of the rich, right? Mm. That there is this, this unity of purpose that as we give to others uh, who have great need, they in turn are giving to us something that we could get in no other way. Uh, yes. a, a vision of God, a, a taste of humility, a taste of uh, of God's presence with us in that moment that merely holding on to our goods w- would never give us. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you look at the saints, and this is what I always invite people to do, when we're looking at how do we live our life of faith, it's important to look to the saints. And when you look to some of to the saints that have really given themselves in service of charity. Um, one of the big biggies of the recent time is obviously Mother Teresa. And I feel like it's cliche to say, it, although she's behind me right now. Um, <laughs> one of the one of the important things that when she gave and continued to give, even in her times of darkness, she received abundant grace beyond measure. When we give and when we try to, we are re- rebuilding the world. We are building the civilization of love when we engage in those acts of intentionally growing closer to our brothers and sisters who have need. Um, Pope Francis speaks of this concept of the periphery. Mm -hmm. And the periphery is kind of this way of thinking, people who are on the outside, people who are kind of, whether it be kind of the outside of a family, maybe you have the black sheep of the family, whether it be like, you know, the outside of the company, you have the kind of weird guy who's kind of, but I think in our society, we take that to the bigger level. Who are kind of the people who are kind of like the outside outside on the very edges, on the very kind of brink? Um, And when we go to these people and we build relationship with them, it's not just about material goods, although um, Benedict XVI talked about in his encyclical, uh, Caritas and Veritate, I believe, that when you're giving uh, material assistance, you actually are kind of, in a sense, giving the material love of God to somebody else. In charity, you're actually... When you're meeting somebody's needs, that's a an act of love. So it is love, and you they can encounter God's love in that. Um, however, even just kind of building the relationship and helping to rebuild the broken unity that we should all have, where we're kind of all in communion with each other. Solidarity is the term that the church uses, um, and fraternity, uh, uh, social friendship. Pope Francis says this idea of living in a society where we all look out for each other's good as friends almost. How would you treat your friend? That's how you should treat your your neighbor. We're talking today with Louis Damani Jones. He's a member of the Board of Directors for Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. He's got a great piece that we've linked to over on our social media. Read it and join the conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. I want to hear what you have to say. There's much more to come right after this. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam. We're talking today about the difference between almsgiving, which is one of the pillars of, uh, of the Lenten observance, and justice. Uh, the, very often, they can look the same externally, right? It's still the act of caring for the needs of those who are around us. Um, but, but there is a difference to it. Um, again, as, as we talked earlier, justice is giving someone what is their due. Both, you know, we, we tend to think of that or, or, or understand that in the sense of, well, you got yours because you did wrong and you got justice. But there's also justice in, in a proper and right and good way where mm. someone is owed something and in justice, we give it to them. So for instance, at Mass, we say, um, let us give thanks to the Lord. It is right and just. It's right and just for us to give God praise because it is due to him. To help us understand that and explore it a little bit more, we're talking with Louis Damani Jones, a member of the Board of Directors for Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of St. Louis, and the 2020 recipient for the USCCB's Cardinal Bernardin U Leadership Award. And I want to hear a little bit about that. How did that come about, Louis? Uh, the New Leadership Award? Yeah. Yeah. So um, that came about uh, actually um, through through some of the work I was doing with Catholic Charities, but also through the work I was doing with the Catholic Campaign for Human Development. Um, and the work that I was doing with them was helping people to understand Catholic social doctrine, but really also looking uh, very strongly at poverty. How do we deal with poverty tangibly? Um, and the way that the, the Catholic Campaign for Human Development approached that in the Archdiocese and the Diocese of Belleville was through working with community organizations um, to try to, uh, particularly often faith-based community organizations, to try to look at what is going on in this community um, and kind of how on the ground we can work with normal everyday people to try to figure out how we can best improve our communities. And whether that be creating businesses, sometimes we gave money. So for example, one of the places that was that was funded, that's a really amazing place, Cafe Reconcile, um, they actually helped to employ people uh, from the community, low-income people, to help to teach them different skills of how to run a restaurant. And they learn all the different business. They kind of start young. They learn all the different areas of business from management to the back of the house to the front of the house. And then they're able to like kind of take these skills anywhere. And they're also able to get a just wage as they're doing that. So it's ways to kind of engage people in, in kind of rebuilding the society through some of these works. And uh, that part of that work was, was what got me the award. Well, now I love this because this is the other side of that word that you've been talking about. You've been talking about the need for solidarity, that we recognize that we're all in the same boat and we belong to one another and we owe one another things and, and we have responsibilities toward them. The other side of this is subsidiarity, believing that we yes. within our community have the means to care for our community. Yes. And, yes. and, and that, you know, there is a, a, a purpose for having larger forms of uh, of bureaucracy coming in and taking care of things that smaller ones can't. That's where the, subsidi the, the solidarity comes in. But there is a sense that we within our community should be able to take care of our community, that God gives us the gifts to take care of the needs that are here with us right now. Yes, um, and that's very important. Um, I also work at an organization called Catholic Urban Programs. Catholic urban programs, um, the programs that we serve, uh, the people that we serve are primarily in the um, housing developments. Uh, they're called housing projects by some in East St. Louis, Illinois. 
We have extreme gun violence. We have one of the highest rates of gun violence in the United States. Um, I personally work one-on-one in, in small groups with homeless women, um, many of whom have experienced domestic violence, substance abuse. People are struggling. And so there's some people who they need, they need your help. <laughs> they need you. Um, they need, they're looking for you. They're looking for Christ in you. Um, really to help to support them. But there's also people who are a little bit further along in their journey. And for them, we're actually working on a program right now called the Family Self-Sufficiency Center. And this is in progress, right? So this is kind of an unveil. Um, But our goal is to help to empower people to be parent leaders. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is that leadership in your own community is a really critical aspect of rebuilding communities and making communities stronger. You know, we actually have a group that we work with. I worked with um, for the Catholic Campaign for Human Development. Um, and they work with the USCCB as well called Parents United for Change. And there are groups of single moms and other people in East St. Louis developments who came together to work on community problems. And they just started meeting. And I'll never forget, uh, I had a meeting with, uh, with one woman. Uh, actually, for us, part of like, you know, our community are uh, working with them, they would go out and speak at Catholic parishes, like to kind of tell them what they're doing and kind of like get to know them and kind of build that relationship, which is really first time she's ever been in a Catholic church. She was talking to me about the gospel reading for like 35, 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, it was the gospel of the widow and two mites. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I feel like I'm like the widow with the two mites. And she was, I was like, that's how you're supposed to feel. You're supposed to like feel like this is talking <laughs> to you. And it was like, so it's such a powerful moment. But she identified with that woman who didn't have much to give, but still with her limited time, with her limited resources, strove to meet her responsibilities for her family, strove to meet her community responsibilities, build up her community. We want to have parent leaders like that all across the city. And that's subsidiarity and solidarity at work. You can't have solidarity without subsidiarity and vice versa. Because true solidarity and true subsidiarity recognizes the need to help others and the need to empower others mm-hmm. to both have their rights met and to meet their responsibilities. It's, it's something that goes together. And if you truly trust and believe in people's worth, you, you know that they can reach higher, that they can get higher, they can go higher. And her story of, of becoming a parent leader really inspires me because it just shows me like, you know, you're never down and out. Right? And sometimes we count people out. We say, oh, they can't do it. They can't get better. They can't improve. And that's totally wrong. That's not what our church teaches about people. People can both meet their responsibilities and we need to help them to have their rights met as well. Now, let's talk about this for a second, because I think that this is an underexplored topic uh, that sometimes when we, we when we go in and we attempt to to help, we do so as if we are the the means of that help rather than exactly. rather than being the conduit that God is bringing that grace to them at this moment. And so we come in and we're like, well, I'm you know, this gift is so great and I'm going to take care of this need. And in some ways we rob the community from yes, exactly. from being able to to fix the problem because of whether it be the strings that we put up or the pride that we carry with us and the the hubris that comes into that gift. And so how do we manage um, this, this empowering justice and charity in a way that r- recognizes our responsibilities, meets the needs of the community, and yet allows for there to be growth and self-direction in the midst of it? Yeah, that's a really challenging question. <laughs> and it obviously has many layers. I think one of the best, one of the, one of the most important things, I think, is to step back and recognize the context. So, for example, in the context of the work that we're doing, 
when at Catholic Urban Programs, we had a new executive director come in and we had a strategic planning process. We had an evaluation of programs. When people started out, they did, you know, this was something that was a very grassroots project at first. People who really faith-filled people, they just wanted to help. They just wanted to provide services for people. And they did that. They, I, they, I hear stories about the founders of, of that organization who would sleep overnight in the office so that they can get a call in the middle of the night to go out to help somebody. It's, I mean, it's heroic, right, what people were doing. Um, but when we kind of did the evaluation, many of these founders are elderly now. Uh, when we did this evaluation, we realized, like, um, we need to empower people to be leaders in their community. Um, we can't just stop here. And the reason being that when people are empowered um, to kind of grow into their own leadership, that doesn't mean that you don't provide support. It doesn't mean that you don't provide services. We provide utility assistance, rent assistance. We provide mental health services, homeless services. We put people in motels if they need to. We do it all. We do a lot of things. We take care of kids after school, during the summer. We do everything. But we recognize that we, that's where that work should continue and is great, but we also need to help people to recognize and to move into places of economic empowerment. Um, and that includes both giving people the information and giving people the access. We call it so the information financial literacy, but going beyond financial literacy to financial capability. How can you give somebody the power to act? Not just the power to have knowledge they can't act upon, but how can they act upon this? Showing people how to do that and, and leading people in that process. It's very context dependent. Every single person or every single context may have its own challenges of what rights need to be met here. Like what rights are people being deprived of here and what responsibilities are we calling them to also to also meet with supports and to grow into that, grow into that process. A lot, a lot is patience. When you look at how Christ dealt with people, some people were you know, in the place when they encountered Jesus Christ, <laughs> whether it be the apostles, whether it be all the people he helped, but through that relationship, and kind of the discipleship and pouring into people, he turned them into people that went about to transform the world. And that's really leadership. That's really growing people into, into community leaders. And that's, I think, a really under, under understood aspect of, of a charitable work is the helping people to, to become empowered. She feels a lot better now, that parent leader, um, because of her leadership. She's spoken in, in state houses. She's led, like she's done all of it. And she's, she, hearing her say, I never could have seen myself do this. Mm -hmm. You see like God's working because this person always had those gifts. You're not giving them the gifts. You're just helping them to unwrap. Them. Now we, we've, uh, we've danced around this a little bit as we've gone through this conversation. Uh, and I want to land on this here um, and explore what we talk about, what we mean when we're talking about rights being balanced with responsibilities. Mm -hmm. You talked about this in your article, which we're going to have a link to on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls, but just briefly, would you unpack that for us here? Well, rights and responsibilities is one aspect of the Catholic social doctrine as it's elucidated by the USCCB. They kind of broke down Catholic social doctrine. People hate the word. It's so complex. What does that mean? Uh, the USCCB gave us seven really easy um, ways to understand it as principles. One, I'm not going to go into all of them, but one of them is rights and responsibilities. And this is the idea that human persons have infinite dignity and worth, that they are empowered by God with certain gifts and abilities and capacities, and also by virtue of their humanity or do certain things because God gave them this earth uh, to reside upon <clears throat> and they're made in his image. So what that means is that human beings have the duty to do certain things. For example, human beings are given the command to work. That's a commandment from God. 
St. John Paul II talks about this in Laborum Exorcens, that this is actually not a punishment. (laughs) This is actually the the crux. This is actually like the heart of the social question. This is the heart of of kind of like our social ills, really. Uh, Pope Francis reaffirms this in his document Fratelli Tutti. He says, basically, employment is the number one issue. He talks about this in Fratelli Tutti. I think it's chapter five. Um, And... Why, why we can, why, so, so we all have this, this, this responsibility to work. Now, work can take different forms. And I think this is kind of the important concept. You know, for example, is the mom at home with her kids, is that, not, is that work or is that not work? Right. You know, it's kind of like a lot of questions there. So working is a duty, but work can mean a lot of different things. Um, so on rights, what are some rights? Well, <clears throat> as human people who live on this earth, we have a right to, to life number one. And we also have a right to kind of subsistence to survive. Mm -hmm. The reason being um, that God created again, like I said at the beginning, that God created this world for all of us to live on. And so because of that, we have the right to exist, (laughs) meaning we have the right to kind of survive. Um, And those, so basically what that means is, and there's many other rights and responsibilities. And I I invite people to read the document Possum and Terrace by St. John the 23rd. Uh, it's it's possum and terrace means peace on earth. And what this document talks about very deeply and very detailed, more detailed than we can now, about the rights and responsibilities that people have um, in a very basic way. But it's important to always hold this. It's not ever a competition. Right. It's not ever of this verse. That, that's not how we should understand it. Um, because from our social doctrine perspective, we understand that wherever it, there's a right, there's a responsibility that meets it every single time. Um, and that's just how it is. And we're all called to live in community and we're help, we're called to help people to meet their responsibilities. And we're also help to help people secure their rights. It's not a competition. Like only if you do your responsibility, do you get your rights only if you, uh, you and like, or vice versa. It's always about, we have to help people to both make, have their rights met and also meet their responsibilities. Well, and I love this because my rights are often met by someone else's responsibilities. Exactly. And someone else's rights are met by my responsibilities. And there is in this, uh, this interdependence on one another. Exactly. Um, when I was working in the Diocese of Tulsa with Bishop Edward Slattery, I remember sitting out on the, uh, we were doing a, a, a cookout with uh, young adults um, there at the back of the chancery. And we were talking about the, the, the problems that we see in our society. And I talked about, you know, that whole idea of rugged individualism and how, how I saw that as maybe a little bit of a negative thing because we belong to one another. And he said, individuality is not the problem. We we're called to be individuals. The problem is rugged independentism, right? When we think that we are independent of one another and neglect the, the things that we owe to one another. Mm. We've been talking today with Louis Damani Jones, a member of the Board of Directors for Catholic Charities at the Archdiocese of St. Louis. Louis, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. No, thank you so much. I love having I love being here. Thank you. Again, you can find his piece from the Catholic Courier by coming over to our social media, Facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Click the link, read the article, and tell me what you think. If you missed any part of my conversation with Lewis or you want to go back and listen to it again, maybe catch something that you missed, or maybe you want to share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And this week, when you're going to find the link to share, um, don't get away from the page just yet, because up in the top right-hand corner of that page on OutsideTheWalls.com, you'll see a link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. 
Click that link and you can learn more about how to access all of the extra segments that we've produced each and every week with all of our fascinating guests. Consider joining our Patreon support community that helps keep us on the air and in gratitude, get access to all of those extra segments, including about a 10 to 15 minute extra segment that we have this week with Louis Damani Jones. Well, now let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. You can get your own Verbum Library by going to Verbum.com. Try it free for 30 days and then pick the library that best fits your needs. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And these words of the prophet Isaiah could just as easily be spoken to us today. So, Let us ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to help us to see if this is something that we ourselves need to hear and respond to today. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted, and thou seest it not? Why have we humbled ourselves, and thou takest no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure, and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight, and hit with the wicked fist." fasting like yours this day, will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for man to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a rush and to spread a sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I chose, to loose the bonds of wickedness? to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away from your midst the yoke, the pointing of the finger, and spreading wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire with good things and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters fail not and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, 
and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That reading comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58. And oh, what words they are for us today. We who seek after God, who, who desire his favor, who call on his name, even in this place, we have to examine ourselves. Is the fast that we have chosen for ourselves this Lent, is this the fast that he has called us to? So very often, we seek a spiritual expression that fits us. And yet God is calling us to very specific places. Are we willing to follow Christ outside the walls and not ask him to just disciple us in the place of our own comfort? Here he speaks to the people of Israel and calls to them to live out a fast that seeks justice for the oppressed. And in that as they answer that call, which, I mean, these words are, are pretty much echoes of what Jesus himself says again in Matthew 25. Whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren, this you have done to me. Here in Isaiah is the foreshadowing of that as he says, your fast should be one that seeks justice. And as you do that, as you live out this call to justice, as you live out this holy fasting, as he calls it, then the things that you are praying for will be yours. He gives this beautiful and triumphant uh, kind of rundown, a laundry list of what we can expect if we live out this justice to which we have been called. You will be called, I love this, that the restorer, the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. And so as we have these desires and these longings to see Christ made manifest in our world, we see that the way to, to, to achieve that, the way to, to find that realized in our day is to be people who have a fast that leads to, to justice. Our reading from Church History Today comes from a sermon by St. Gregory of Nazianzen. Blessed are the merciful. Because they shall obtain mercy, says the scripture. Mercy is not the least of the Beatitudes. Again, blessed is he who is considerate to the needy and the poor. Once more, generous is the man who is merciful and lends. In another place, all day the just man is merciful and lends. Let us lay hold of this blessing. Let us earn the name of being considerate. Let us be generous. Not even night should interrupt you in your duty of mercy. Do not say, come back and I will give you something tomorrow. There should be no delay between your intention and your good deed. Generosity is the one thing that cannot admit of delay. Share your bread with the hungry and bring the needy and the homeless into your house with joyful and eager heart. He who does acts of mercy should do so with cheerfulness. The grace of a good deed is doubled when it is done with promptness and speed. 
What is given with a bad grace or against one's will is distasteful and far from praiseworthy. When we perform an act of kindness, we should rejoice and not be sad about it. If you undo the shackles and the thongs, says Isaiah, that is, if you do away with miserliness and counting the cost, with hesitation and grumbling, what will be the result? Something great and wonderful. What a marvelous reward there will be. Your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will rise up quickly. Who would not aspire to light and healing If you think that I have something to say, servants of Christ, his brothers and co-heirs, let us visit Christ whenever we may. Let us care for him, feed him, clothe him, welcome him, honor him, not only at a meal as some have done, or by anointing him as Mary did, or only by lending him a tomb like Joseph of Arimathea, or by arranging for his burial like Nicodemus, who loved Christ half-heartedly, or by giving him gold, frankincense, and myrrh like the Magi before all these others. The Lord of all asks for mercy, not sacrifice. And mercy is greater than myriads of fattened lambs. Let us then show him mercy in the persons of the poor and those who today are lying on the ground, so that when we come to leave this world, they may receive us into everlasting dwelling places in Christ our Lord himself, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That reading comes from a sermon by St. Gregory of Nazianzen. And these stirring words, mingled together with the words of the prophet Isaiah, ha, huh, I mean, you just feel like the music is swelling in the background. It's like, okay, yeah, I, I see it. We're going to go. We're going to go meet Christ. We're going to go do this thing. And and there's this energy behind it. Uh, what do I do? Well, I guarantee that you have a Catholic Charities in your area. Call them up and say, what can I do to assist in the mission of the church? What can I do? Uh, maybe your parish has a benevolence ministry. Maybe there's a food pantry in your area Uh, that is or isn't associated with any particular church or organization, but is dedicated to serving the poor. Whatever you do, there are plenty of things that you can do. Make this part of your Lenten fast, a fast that seeks justice, that seeks to give mercy to Christ in the the person of the poor. And do it, as St. Gregory of Nazianzen said, do it without delay, Do it without grumbling. Do it with joy in your heart because in this act of mercy, in this pursuit of justice, you are coming to encounter Christ in the person of the poor. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, find this week's episode, and share it with your friends on social media. This week's show is brought to you by Marisa Alvarez Pasos and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and join their numbers. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his confidence upon you and give you 